Welcome to the St. Matthew's Episcopal Church Worship Podcast. My name is Maggie Nancaro, and I am the Interim Rector at St. Matthew's. St. Matt's is a neighborhood church with a worldwide community in St. Paul, Minnesota. This Sunday is March 13th, 2022, the second Sunday in Lent. Our text this week comes from Luke chapter 13. You can find the text on lectionarypage.net or at a link in the show notes. This Sunday, we are welcoming Don Samuels back to St. Matthew's as a guest preacher. After I open in prayer and read, you'll hear audio from the sermon as it was preached on Sunday. Then to conclude our time, I'll lead us in a short version of the prayers of the people as they were shared in church on Sunday. I invite you to take a deep breath and center yourself now in God's loving presence. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. O God, whose glory it is always to have mercy, be gracious to all who have gone astray from your ways and bring them again with penitent hearts and steadfast faith to embrace and hold fast the unchangeable truth of your word, Jesus Christ, your Son, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God, forever and ever. Amen. This is the Gospel according to Luke. Some Pharisees came and said to Jesus, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. He said to them, Go and tell that fox for me. Listen, I am casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will finish my work. Yet today, tomorrow, and the next day, I must be on my way, because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I have desired to gather your children together, as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you. And I tell you, You will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. The Gospel of the Lord. If I were to title my sermon this morning, I would title it, Let's All Go to Jerusalem. A friend of mine told me that after the Civil Rights Movement, He suddenly found himself in an integrated high school. It was pretty much 50% black, 50% white. Then slowly over the next few years, the white kids left and it became a black and then a black and poor high school. Over a period of years, many Americans trapped in a bubble of deception became convinced that their beloved country was being terribly betrayed. A fake president was being installed, and democracy was being stolen unless they did something about it. So they marched on the Capitol, 
and exercised their anxieties. Four years ago, the city of Minneapolis made great progress. We got our first black chief. Yet three years later, we all watched in COVID captivity as a white cop pressed his knee against Floyd's neck and strangled him while three others helped and they did nothing to stop it. A child goes to school every morning and recites the Pledge of Allegiance to a nation indivisible with liberty and justice for all, only to grow into young adulthood to discover a thoroughly divisible nation and that justice is still denied many in the margins. In very real ways, millions are still not free. Now in our Old Testament reading, we see Abraham talking to God, who reaffirms his promise to Abraham that he will have descendants that will become a great nation. Look up at the night sky and see the countless stars. You will have descendants just like that, God says. But centuries later, Jesus, one of those descendants, looks toward Jerusalem where Abraham's descendants flood the streets of a busy metropolis, Jerusalem. In that city, a crooked fox of a king reigns over his prey people. It's Jerusalem, the holy city, but religious leaders manipulate and oppress in sacrilege. Laws and taboos marginalize thousands, and pain is the life story of the masses. Yes, the same descendants that God so faithfully and optimistically had promised Abraham had become divided into rigid hierarchies of nobility, purity, wealth, and social condition. In all of these scenarios, most intelligent people will ask the question, how can I simply find safety and make a good life in this flawed and messed up system? My friend in the newly black school could not be faulted to ask, how am I going to get an education in this deteriorating reality? Maybe you'd understand the Proud Boys if you were born in that certain family in a certain town with a certain dad and a certain media bubble with a certain man for president. You just might march on that failure of a government and burst through windows and doors and take your country back. If you are honest, you might understand the cops behind Chauvin or the ones shooing the crowd for thinking, if I defy this ranked officer and pull him off this poor guy, I'll be in violation of every rule and my whole career will be in the toilet. It's on him. 
And you can't much blame the teenager after hundreds of repetitions of the Pledge of Allegiance if she becomes totally cynical and decides to give up on her ideals and just takes care of herself. Or if he decides to curse his own city and burn a few buildings or throw water bottles at cops' heads. And maybe you couldn't blame 11 of the 12 disciples if they thought standing up to the system was a fool's errand and a masochist who thought differently should be left alone to his foolhardy quest. And you can almost understand, almost, the one who might have chosen to betray his idealistic leader rather than see some kind of standoff with a system and have all hell break loose in Jerusalem. So what's up with Jesus that suddenly he breaks from the fearful paradigm or the passive resignation or the violent protestation? Suddenly he stops eluding rabid crowds trying to kill him. He stops being always on the move, avoiding capture. He no longer is preaching in the outdoors rather than the houses of worship where they're trying to get him. Instead, he tells the good guy Pharisee, and yes, there were some, who are warning him to run. Go tell that fox, he says of the king. I'm not running. I have a little healing to do today, a little preaching to do tomorrow, but then... Look out. I'm running into the storm. I'm coming to Jerusalem. Reminds me a little of the Ukrainian president, Zelensky. Normally, when there's a deadly invasion, the invaders expect that the leader knows that they are number one target. As Colin Powell famously said, you find the head of the snake and you cut it off. They expect you to either surrender or run. Then they just waltz into the palace and take over. On the other hand, your friends understand that your life is in grave danger and want you to live to fight another day. So they will offer to hustle you out of town with enough money for a comfortable exile hopefully temporary. But despite this sandwich of seduction, Zelensky shows up on social media in military dress and tells his people, we are here, we are in Kiev, we are protecting Ukraine, our army is here, our civil society is here, we're all here. We are defending our independence, our state, and we will continue to do so. Now, didn't that inspire you? It sent chills up my spine. Didn't make you want to do something noble? Didn't it make you want to be brave yourself? There was spirit in that. 
a man caught in tragic disillusionment and terror, with the option and the possibility to run, to save himself. And the whole world would understand. There is something deeply spiritual about this, and it seduces us all into the possibility that there is still nobility and greatness in the world. How do you act when disillusion hits? When you discover your country or your city, your world, or your life is not what it promised to be? How do you act when the allegiance pledge lies broken? Or the movement fizzles? Or justice is betrayed? Or your founding dreams become nightmares? Do you run like the disciples? Do you fight like Peter? Do you fold like Judas? Or do you stand like Jesus? To the death of your self-preservation. This is the real grief of Lent. The looking over ourselves, our city, our nation, our world, over the realization that we are broken. And the only Christ-like option is to go toward Jerusalem and be the person who dies to self who holds on to the dream and embodies it even though you will be misunderstood, hurt, betrayed, denied, and abandoned. You'll have to die to all that if the city, the neighborhood, or the country and the world are to be saved. And you're not sure you're up to it. You must grieve this fear this death of your fantasies, your perfect life, and your perishable dreams. You must grieve the death of your ego and embrace your own cross of surrender because you will not be spared the challenge the disciples faced. You're being asked to consider the reality you had expected. Then face the disillusionment of your perfect life. Don't give up. Don't be violent. Don't run away. Move forward in the world carrying the hope for a better life with persistence faith, nonviolence, and love for all. You must become the promise. We must be the solution. We must live the answer. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Be the path. Lose your small self and become God's big self. 
and be Christ in the world. Then others will see your life and be moved to transformation, to believe there is a caring God who still makes caring and courageous people who are saving the world. Then they will be transformed and the world will be saved. Now I know talk like this makes us feel as if we're not adequate. That we might go to Jerusalem, we might enter into the difficulty of the world, of our lives, we might panic and freeze, we might panic and run, we might panic and lash out. But always remember who we're following. Twelve guys who really messed up. And God forgave them and restored them. So be of courage. Get ready, people. Let's all go to Jerusalem together. God bless you. As we close our time of reflection and wondering, I invite you to pray with me. I will lead us in a series of petitions, which we are also using in church on Sunday, and then hold a silence. During that silence, you can repeat at home, Lord, have mercy, or you can name people, situations, or places that you would like to hold in prayer. Let us pray with all our hearts and all our minds for ourselves, the church, our neighbors, and the whole world. For the peace of the world, that a spirit of respect and forbearance may grow among nations and peoples, we pray to you, O Lord. For the poor, the persecuted, the sick, and all who suffer, for refugees, prisoners, and all who are in danger, that they may be relieved and protected, we pray to you, O Lord. For Ukraine, Poland, Russia, and all of Eastern Europe, we pray to you, O Lord. for all who have commended themselves to our prayers, for our families, friends, and neighbors, that being freed from anxiety, they may live in joy, peace, and health. We pray to you, O Lord. 
for all who live and work in St. Paul and Minneapolis and every city and community, especially teachers on strike in Minneapolis, all educators and the children they serve. We pray to you, O Lord. For all who have died in the communion of your church, and those whose faith is known to you alone, that with all the saints they may have rest in that place where there is no pain nor grief, but life eternal. We pray to you, O Lord. I thank you, God, for hearing all these prayers, for holding all we bear along with us, and for never abandoning us as we sojourn in the wilderness. Love us into new life this day and always. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today and for gathering in our dispersed church to pray and learn from Scripture. I look forward to seeing you when we can. And in the meantime, I hope you hear these words of blessing on you and all that you encounter this week. Life is short, and we have too little time to gladden the hearts of those who travel the way with us. So be swift to love and make haste to be kind. And may the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God and Mother of us all, be with you now and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen.